It's time for another episode of Called by the Gospel, a service of Table Talk it's Radio. Favorite. It's my favorite game. Anything to get away from the regular humdrum of our normal show. That's why we do That's this, right. to get away from the silly games and points where we're super serious and we listen to other people talk. That's why we do Called by the Gospel. Why do we really do it, Pastor Wolfman? We do get to hear people becoming Lutheran. That's a nice thing. How the Lord... How God the Holy Spirit called, gathered, enlightened, and uh, sanctified uh, this particular member of his Holy Christian Church. And today I want to introduce you to Jeff. Here, I'll let him introduce himself. Ready? Hey, Pastor Wolf Mueller. My name is Jeff Haining. I'm a 48-year-old dad and husband, general manager of a nutritional foods company called Living Fuel, uh, father of three fabulous kids, uh, one at the University of Florida and two in high school here. And absolutely excited to be with you here on Called by the Gospel. So there's Jeff. Uh, Jeff, he's going to tell the story in his own words, but went from nominal Catholicism to charismaticism to Baptist to Lutheran. So that's the that's the contours of this journey. <laughs> Anything you need to know before we get going? No, let's hit it. That is great. Tell, tell me the story, I said, Jeff, and this is what he did. Exactly. Mom from uh, maiden name Larson from Nebraska and my father, uh, you know, German Roman Catholic. They converged and Catholicism won out. So I was uh, raised as a Roman Catholic, you know, baptized Roman Catholic, confirmed Roman Catholic until about 15 when my parents met some friends here in Florida uh, and kind of got involved in the uh, non-denominational slash charismatic movement, which was quite popular in the uh, in the mid 80s. What did you think about? I asked him then, which I'm, you could hear me starting to. <laughs> uh, I, I said, "What? So, what did? What were your memories about being uh, Catholic versus being charismatic? So, what were those memories like?" And here's what he said: <laughs> Funny story, because that happened in one weekend, right? I mean, it's just like, hey, we're going to Nativity this week, and we're going to Christ Center Fellowship the next week, and I remember. Um, going to the first service and like they were they were doing prayer requests at the charismatic service and i remember driving home in the car with my parents going why don't we go back to the church where nobody has any problems <laughs> <laughs> i love so it so at the charismatic church what here here's the prayer requests and he's like man these people are messed up. <laughs> so, uh, so again, I asked him. So, what did you remember from the Catholic Church and from the Charismatic Church? And here's how he answered. Yeah, that's that's really good. Um, I, I guess growing up, you know, Catholic and going to Catholic Church, there's a a reverence, reverence, I suppose, um, a little a little stale, but there was maybe an otherworldliness, a supernaturalness, if you will, to the service that. Actually, at the time, I was actually uh, really greatly appealed to me. Um, and then moving to the charismatic service where, you know, kind of people are dancing in, in the aisles and there's sort of this spontaneous speaking in tongues and proclamations and louder music, tambourines and such. It just seemed to um, I mean, just remarkably different. I, at the time, it was really hard to even process really what was going on. Uh, however, in a sense, I also did kind of admire maybe the passion and energy that I saw from the charismatic uh, movement. But I, at, at the time, as a 15-year-old kid, you know, concerned with baseball and girls in high school, I just followed along with my parents like most of us do at that. So now that's interesting, isn't it? So it's kind of what are the highlights, the, what are the good things that each church had? 
And he said, for the Catholic Church, you get that. He said, it was, there was a reverence that was there. Um, and for the Charismatic Church, it was the zeal, the energy uh, that was there. So I, I say it, it's, it's fascinating that, um, that, that, that the latter, you know, the one's passion or energy oftentimes becomes the um, litmus test for whether, you know, the spiritually working. We've talked about this all, all kinds of times on our show. And uh, I mean, it, so the, the contrast goes like this. Well, you know, when you go to the football game, you're cheering for your team. And yet when you go to church, you're not cheering for God at all. So what's more important to you, football or God? <laughs> and uh, of course, when I, when I go to court, I'm not disrespecting the judge, but I'm also not cheering him on either. Go judge! Go! You can do it! Of course, this is making the point that there's a proper place to express um, oneself in the context which you're in. And the question, I guess, in front of us is, what's the proper way to express uh, what devotion to God? And uh, whether it's jumping up and down screaming or whether it's in a more reverent way. Um, so here you have both sides. In the Roman Catholic Church, they're taking the reverent approach, and the uh, charismatic non-denominational, it's marked by um, energy and passion. It's, what's interesting also is that those are the things that, that people remember. Yeah. That's just a, it's, it's frustrating, but important for us to remember this, too, is that when people leave church, what they remember is the tone of the place. Hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You would like to know that they would say, well, we remember the doctrine, but but the first impression is not the doctrine. It's the first impression that people get of, of any. It's going to be the color, the tone, the the, the energy or, or the, like the, the 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 it's going to be the secondary things, what we know to be secondary things. But those are the primary things that you notice as, as you're working your way from the outside, from the outside in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. How did you get from there in high school to college? How did things unfold? That's going to be the next part. Here, here's how Jeff tells it. Right. I mean, really typical story. I think many many of us have. You know, went off to to college and and kind of just wandered off. Did really what I really wanted to do and met a fantastic uh, uh, wife. You know, girlfriend Carrie. I think you have a Carrie as well, if I'm I not do. mistaken. Pastor, yeah, wonderful women they are. Um, she was a Southern Baptist, and she had been Southern Baptist all her life. And I began going to church with her, and that is where we met. This is where we started going to church. And gosh, up until about four years ago, we were very much steeped, and you know, I was very much steeped in the uh, the Southern Baptist, you know. Uh, it really has taken me along through in my faith since about about four years ago at this point. I asked him to describe it, um, how that was to go from the charismatic church to the Baptist church. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I gave it that much thought, Pastor, at the time. You know, at the time I was, you know, newly married. You know, we we're kind of starting a family. We knew that church at the time, this church is just something that we do. You know, it's like, hey, Sunday is church day. Didn't really think too much through things theologically. Definitely listened to my pastor, listened to uh, my Bible study leaders, you know, read the books and kind of did my quiet time and, you know, did, 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 essentially, (laughs) you know, going through the things that I was supposed to do to be, quote unquote, a good Christian man. 
Now, what do you think about that? So it moved from charismatic church to the Baptist church, and it wasn't a it wasn't a theological move. What what do you you got thoughts on that, Evan? Well, it seemed to me that it was a rather rather unimpressive, unimpressive what's right unimpressive um, switch. So that there was maybe not really anything noticeable that was different from going to charismatic non-denominational to Baptist, which in of itself should maybe be a red flag. And I think that's maybe a commentary on how a lot of churches these days have adopted all the same practices of bringing people in, to which you really, I mean, maybe if you dig into the finer points of theology, you'll get into the differences. But because all the churches are kind of using all the same church growth methods, there's not much of a difference when you just go and attend a service Sunday morning. What do you think? It's one of the, it is one of the marks of the American church that it's not theological. Hmm. It's uh, so to move from one to the other in this sort of umbrella of American Christianity is not going to be a theological move. They're atheological in a lot of ways. It's when you, but it's when you start getting it's it, so that there's a way there's a, so Jeff is a, he's a Christian man. He believes in, in, in Christ, he, he trusts Jesus. He he uh, loves the forgiveness of sins. He wants to. He he believes God's word to be true, and yet he's not. He doesn't have a cultivated theology. It's just not what's happening. It's not what's going on with him. Now, I I wonder if you have a thought about this because I, as he was talking there, I, I was wondering, and I think I know the answer. Do you think that there's more more occasions in which, um. The guy meets the girl, and in meeting the girl, then is compelled to go to church out of a, a product of the relationship. Or do you think it's more common that the girl meets the guy, and out of the relationship, uh, the pr- the product is that the girl starts going to church? I don't know. It's around here. It's about fifty fifty. Ah, interesting. What do you think? I, I would think the tendency would be that guys aren't going to church until they meet the girl. And then they're like, okay, I'll go to church. (laughs) And that's not to say that they're insincere about it. I'm just saying that, but, you know, I mean, it it goes both ways, I suppose. Yep, yep, yep. Now, I asked asked Jeff to describe the Baptist church to someone who's never seen it. To To a Lutheran who's never been to a Baptist church, what is it like on Sunday morning? And here's how he answered. It is um, actually quite simple, really. It's uh, it's worship time and sermon time with some announcements thrown in to the middle. Um, the worship time is is kind of like a there's a band in the front of the at, on the stage, and I was in the I was in the choir. Spent years in the choir. My wife spent years in the choir as well. Um, so you stand while you're singing the worship songs, the love songs to Jesus. Um, watching the band, and then there's some announcements, and then the pastor gives his sermon. It's really that straightforward. It's not really any Bible reading per se, unless the pastor happens to be reading from a particular passage that's you know projected on to the screen. There will be like a, a, a baptism occasionally at the beginning. You know, someone that has through sort heaven. of You'll baptism like class and knows what they're doing. Things that the phrases that gosh I kept hearing all the time was, you know, here's this uh, liturgical person coming up to be baptized, and I remember a pastor saying, you know, he's getting his baptism on the right side of his salvation. Hmm. 
Ouch. What do you think about that? <laughs> here's a you know a Catholic, a Lutheran, or some a Presbyterian, and now they're coming up to be rebaptized, and they're getting baptism on the right side of salvation. Right. So before they were baptized on the other side of conversion. So before you became a Christian, you were baptized, which probably doesn't count. But uh, now you're getting baptized as one who is already saved. Yep. <laughs> yep. I asked him about that, and he said some more. So let's hear it here. It is, right. And, and in fact, if you if you look at, you know, the Southern Baptist uh, statement of faith, that's what they'll say, that baptism is, is our act of obedience to the Lord. And quite frankly, sometimes the, the worship service felt like that to me, kind of over time as I began to think about this, was like the worship time was us you know, adoring Jesus and showing Jesus how devoted we are to our faith and to him. And that's what worship kind of began to come to me. And it really kind of hit me square between the eyes because it's like, no, that can't be it. Because if you could see the inside of me, I'm not really that devoted at all. So how about that? So wow. th- there's a parallel between how you understand baptism and how you understand worship, which is profound. Yeah, that is. and and that and the worship is now me proving my own worthiness to God. But what happens is you start to realize that that I how can I do that? I'm not worthy. I'm not holy. I'm not fit for God's presence. It's amazing, huh? I remember when I was in college and going to a Christian school was. Uh, had to, was required to go to chapel services twice a week. And uh, this is a judgment on my part, but it seemed like there were uh, people who were very kind of um, active and out there during worship, you know, with their arms or their, you know, maybe almost even to the point of dancing and stuff. And uh, and it seemed like there was almost a competition who can out-worship the other. <laughs> and I think there is kind of a characteristic that we've heard time and time again in doing these uh, Call by the Gospel interviews is that oftentimes what's articulated in worship is the kind of eye on the other person. So um, how, how am I measuring up? Am I... Am I showing my adoration in the right way in comparison to those worshipers next to me? And and if you're really paying attention, then you start to recognize your own hypocrisy in the whole thing, right? Which yeah. is what happened. Which is what happened with Jeff. Now I asked him, um, how, how did it? What was the moment when he when he started moving from Lutheran to to Luther, uh, from from Baptist to Lutheran? And he tells about one particular time, one particular sermon, in fact, where he started to see the difference. I think at this point he's he's starting to study some theology, starting to listen to the White Horse Inn, stuff stuff like that. He's starting to ask some critical theological questions. But then this is what happened. Yeah, I'll give you an example of that. Is is just like I, be, I began, um, you know, just from reading books like Spirituality of the Cross from Gene Edward Veith, fantastic book, you know, God at Work, Gene Edward Veith. I began finding issues, et cetera, and I actually began hearing and listening to your interviews as well, Pastor Wolf Mueller, which I'm very, very thankful for as well. Do you want to just pause there? Do you yeah. want to say anything yeah. about that, Evan? We, uh, it's really interesting how he's talking about books that he was reading. Which books he, did he read? Your book? Is there not yet. Uh, at some point, <laughs> my book comes in there. Oh, does it? Oh, no. Never mind. No, I have no but comment. Not yet. No, no comment I, then. I remember just... <laughs> at church one time and our pastor's there and he's doing a sermon series on the Beatitudes, right? And he's got a sermon illustration up on the stage and it's a big 
12 foot A-frame ladder. You can picture this A-frame ladder. And as he's delivering a sermon, he's walking up the steps mm. as he's saying each of the Beatitudes. Oh my God. And I remember going, uh... this, no, like I can't do these things. And you said a crack. That was like the crack for me because like, you know, I had been, you know, the Christian guy, right? I did my quiet time. I did my Bible study. I tithed my 10%. I supported this ministry. Goodness gracious, I taught Bible study. I taught, quote unquote, life groups. You know, I did all the Christian things. And then the pastor was on there and I was like, I, I this can't be what this is all about. That was really the crack for me. Mm, God. You got that? That's perfect. Can you imagine it? Oh yeah, I'm picturing the eight frame ladder in my mind is orange. And and the and and he's just kind of taking step up, step up, step up, and you're going, wait a minute, this is a game on table talk radio. <laughs> <laughs> you're it's, climbing I mean, the ladder of morality. <laughs> Can you say, blessed are the meek, and then you take a step up because look, I'm the meek. <laughs> blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Though I don't hunger and thirst for it, I got it. Boom, 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 boom. Mm. I mean, the Ten Commandments are driving us down, and this guy's. Climbing up, climbing up, climbing, climbing, climbing to reach this pinnacle. This is the, this is the picture of Pietism. I thought what he was going to say. You know, there's the whole thing devoted to uh, stupid preacher tricks. I thought he was going to say, and he got to the top rung where you're not supposed to stand, and he fell down <laughs> because that, that's what happens when we're climbing the ladder of morality or any of the ladders for that matter. We start getting puffed up and think, "Oh, look, look how high I am on this ladder. I'm really pulling it off." And the result is eventually that we come crashing down because we aren't pulling anything off. We're sinners before a righteous God. Yep, that's right. Now, this uh, I asked then. What so? What was the um, what were the next steps? Let's see. What was my question? Oh yeah, where did you go from there? And he, but he's going to then give a bit of retrospective because he's going to realize as he's. He's, he's finding this sort of typical story. You go from white horse into issues, et cetera, to table talk radio to despair. <laughs> uh, th- but but in, at some point in there, so he finds some of these things, but then he remembers that he actually had from his childhood a copy of the small catechism. For th- now, this is amazing how it starts to come together. So here, here's how he, he talked about what what happened next, which is really what happened before. Yeah, I think the typical, you know, exploring a little bit of uh, reform theology a bit. Um, and I got to tell you, I went back. This is it's really, you know, I, you look at it as a coincidence. Is it a quote unquote God thing? But I, I failed to say in the beginning of my story is my first sort of um, exposure to confessional Lutheran, Lutheranism was seventh grade in Hawaii. I went to a small uh Lutheran school in Hawaii on Oahu, uh, our, Sa- our Savior Lutheran Church in Iea, Hawaii. It's still there, LCMS congregation. And I remember they, they gave me the blue Luther small catechism when I started. Never seen this thing before. And I remember the, the teacher handing me this blue book as a, as a little kid, not really knowing what it is. And I remember, I don't know if he told me this or this is just the impression that it left to me. He's like, I'm handing you your faith, Hmm. you know, and I was like, huh, this is interesting. And oddly enough, over all these years and moves from Hawaii over to, you know, 
Florida, Atlanta, several moves back. You know, I kept that book and I am not a keeper of things. I discard everything. I had kept that original 1943 blue Luther small catechism book and just kind of began leafing through that, uh, listening to a lot of issues, et cetera, podcasts, um, began going to a, 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 you know, a Lutheran church here, uh, Emmanuel Lutheran church here in Brandon, Florida, and just feeling that. I'm home and just seeing that, gosh, this is just the wonderful exposition of what God's word said. It's nothing new. It's nothing fantastic. It's no new spin and no new, hey, I read through this text and I've got this new fantastic thing for you. It's like, gosh, this is the faith that has been tried and true for 2000 years. And that history just really struck me. And it was wonderful. One thing I'll, I'll tell you that was great as well is um, the Lord's Supper has been just absolutely monumental for me in my, uh, you know, conversion into confessional Lutheranism. I remember going to Emmanuel Lutheran Church on my first day at this church and seeing the altar, which is, of course, very unusual because I'm used to the praise man being on the front and the choirs in the back. Quite interesting. Why is it in the back? Oh, because we're we're all joining in worship of the Lord toward the front, not people singing to us. So anyway, anyway, but on the, and I can send you a photo of this. It's pretty remarkable. And they do this each Sunday, but on the altar, when they have the, the chalice and all the elements for, for the Lord's Supper, they have a, a sheet over it. I'm sure there's a fancy Latin word for it. But when you look at it, it looks like a body. I mean, it literally looks like there is a dead body on the <laughs> altar covered by a sheet. And I just remember seeing that visually and having that impact me going, wow, this is actually really what that is. And that was a wonderful turning point for me as well. What do you think about that? Would that be called the Paul? The Paul? Uh, no, no. Is it? I can't remember. The Paul is what goes over the casket. I know that, but... Um... The okay. linen... Yeah, the altar I can't linen. Remember. The altar linen. Um, this, it might be. I, see, I, I'm, I'm thinking. Well, I hate talking about this when everybody who's screaming at the, at the whatever they listen to their podcast on. I, I was thinking that the, the the one that goes directly over the the chalice though was also called a pall, but I could be wrong. Um, be, I don't know. But then there, I never but know then those things. The, I, I never remember them on purpose just to be obnoxious <laughs> to the, all the guys that think that that's so fantastically important. <laughs> no, anyway, the point, though, is that uh, th- there was an immediate difference as he walked in. The first thing was the choir's not in the front. The choir's in the back. Um, and that uh, there's something center here that catches his attention that is uh, the the vessels, the preparation for the Lord's Supper. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you were talking about things that immediately catch our attention being secondary, but there are things that we can do within the service um, and th- that speak to what we believe. Um, the reason that the choir isn't uh, in the front and is in the back instead is because church is not about putting talent on display but it is about uh, praising, praising God and, and, and singing forth his, his songs. And that is done not by putting people up front, by, by enhancing the worship service by bringing uh, music up from the back. 
That's right. If you want to show off, you got to get your own podcast. Now, the <laughs> the connect the, one of the themes that's running through here is that there's this connection between what you believe about the sacraments and how you worship, and that is important. Mm-hmm. So, what you believe about the efficacy of the word—that is, the power of God's word to convert—versus God's word needing our own help to deliver its goodness, etc. If if you the efficacy of the word and that the sacraments are the means of grace, that's gonna that's gonna really change the way that our worship looks, uh, and it's gonna change it from the contemporary band up front to have the emotional story, uh, the, the the emotional ride given. Versus the one that extols the word and lets the word and the sacrament stand on its own. Now, this is important for all of us to remember is that you can that the way that we worship is a confession. That's the that's the point there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. I asked Jeff if I asked Jeff if the doctrines of baptism and the Lord's Supper were hard because that's a hard sticky. That's a sticky point for a lot of people. And he said, <laughs> surprisingly, not that difficult because why? It's what the Bible says. You know, I, I remember hearing, I, gosh, I don't know, it was a podcast or something where uh, Dr. Rosenblatt said, go look up in the Bible all the mentions in the New Testament of baptism. Just go look them up. You know, don't listen to me, but just go look them up in the Bible. And you're going to conclude that this is not an act of obedience. There is something supernatural going on, and sins are forgiven, and grace is bestowed to us through uh, water and the word. So, as I, and I read the Bible my whole life, right? And the idea is it almost doesn't need interpretation, Pastor Wolfmuel. It's right there in black and white preserved for us uh, through the providence of God. So quite surprisingly, both the Lord's Supper and uh, Holy Baptism, it really wasn't a very difficult transition for me when I just let the black and white words on the page, uh, you know, sing to my heart. It was wonderful. What do you think about that? Well, I, I you believe agree, it. I agree. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I agree with you that uh, oftentimes baptism is one of the last things to fall, particularly infant baptism, because what you have in infant baptism is someone who can do nothing and the claim that this person is saved. Now, that will test your theology to see if you really believe in sola fide or not. Um, a little baby that can't do anything is uh, is being gifted the gift of salvation. But I hear this, though, a lot with the Lord's Supper, that someone coming in doesn't really have a hard time comprehending the Lord's Supper, though we think that it might. And I think the reason for this is that in a lot of churches, though they formally, in their statement of beliefs and whatever else, deny the real presence in the Lord's Supper, they'll say, oh, this is just symbolic, they might in their church services still contain the word of God. So the pastor's up there, he's still saying the words, this is my body, this is my blood, and then in their statement of belief, but we don't really believe it's the body and blood of Christ. But they still say it. And so because they're hearing the word of God over and over and over, I've had people come into Lutheran church who say, oh, my church doesn't teach that? I thought they did, because I always hear it mm-hmm. said from the Word of God, this is my body, this is my blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's right. I asked I asked Jeff if there's other difficult doctrines, and he said... Uh, a little bit. You know, the idea of being okay and not understanding everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a... Gosh, a, a I've read actually through the, the Book of Concord, and I think there's a phrase there, so it's like... It's enough to know that. I think there was something that was in the, the formula that I, that little phrase just kind of comment. It's enough to know that, or it's enough that we know that. And it's like, 
there is some tension in Lutheranism. You know, the Trinity is tension. We don't completely grasp really what that means, but we trust what God tells us in his word. We don't even really know. And, you know, you could talk to, uh, you know, Reverend Harrison, the president of the LCMS. I could talk to you and say, gosh, Pastor Wolfmuller, explain to me how the bread and the wine is Christ's body and blood. You know, you can't grasp that. You don't have the the faculty, the ability to completely understand that. So there's a tension that has to be, you have to be okay with that. But hey, I'll get on an airplane and fly from Tampa to Denver. I don't understand how the plane flies, but I'm still going to get in into the plane. So that was a little difficult, but in so many areas of life, you have to be okay not understanding everything. Cause so that that's an interesting point that... Um, that the Lutheran doctrine leaves room for, well, the Lutheran doctrine limits our, our confession of Christ and our confession of the truth to what the scriptures say. It says, don't go past this. And that's, and that's, that's marked in the Reformation by Luther's teaching against the scholastics. It was the scholastics that, that, uh, Luther said they want to go and, and, Appear on God nude. They want to see the divine <laughs> majesty unveiled. Right. This is the formula of Concord on Article Nine. I just did a quick search. It says, "Isn't this is on the Christ descent to hell? It is enough to know that Christ went to hell, destroyed hell for all believers, and has redeemed them from the power of death of the devil and of the eternal damnation of the hellish jaws." How this took place is something that we should postpone until the other world, where we will be revealed to us not only this point, but many others as well. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> which our blind reason cannot comprehend in this life, but which we simply accept. That's great. Yeah, so there, so there, uh, it's interesting to note, I think, and I think that's going to be in distinction to Reformed theology, at least in Jeff's, in Jeff's case. The Reformed theology wants to dot all the I's. Is the I's? Yeah, dot all the I's, <laughs> cross all the T's. You know, don't, don't cross but, the but I's. We're going to say, look, we want to cross every. We want to cross every T that the Lord has crossed. But if He hasn't crossed it, we want to let it stand. So, uh, let's see what's today. Oh, I said, okay. Now, tell if you could go back and say, answer the question, what is the gospel? How would you answer that question as a Catholic? as a Baptist slash charismatic and as a Lutheran? And Jeff gave this answer. Yeah, that's a good question. So let's let's think on that. So I will say that, let me go, when we work backwards. Um, so the gospel now is the good news of Christ crucified for my sins and that death, hell, and the grave are defeated. Um, backwards, back in time as a Baptist, the, the gospel is uh, living the life that God would have me to live. I'm going to stop there and think about that a little bit. So, so as a Baptist, what was the gospel? Was living the life that God would have me live, which sounds not very much like gospel. <laughs> well, you're right, because um, who of us is living the life that God would have us live? That doesn't sound like good news. Although oftentimes the way it's it's brought out is... Um, the good news is that God has a better life for you. Um, you know how sometimes we, we make this point sometimes that that there's kind of a, uh, I mean, a natural law built into the to the universe in which we live, and so that the Ten Commandments have 
um, particular cause and effects that uh, go well with us. So, I mean, we could we could look at the fourth commandment. The uh, fourth commandment is the first one with a promise. It'll go well with you, live a long life. Um, but for a lot of people, maybe the Baptists, that's all the that's all there is to this life. So that that um, you know, instead of talking about sin, I think not, not of the Baptists here. I think of how Joel Osteen will hardly ever talk about sin. But if he does talk about sin, it's that God has a better life for you to live. Right. And so if you would live the way that God wants you to live, boy, life could be so much better. Um, but but oh, in, in, in what extent do you take that? Um, OK, I, I, I could be, um, you know, more loving to my neighbors. I'm, I'm kind of a jerk, actually, sometimes. So maybe my life would be better if I wasn't such a jerk all the time. But what about my thoughts? What about my impulses? What about my actions? What about the words I say? I mean, you, you, you have to, uh, if you're going to just play the game, I'm living the life that God wants me to live, you have to only look at part of your life, because if you look at everything, you're depressed. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's got a f- couple more things, and then he's got a Catholic um, answer, too. And quite frankly, as a Catholic, I... I didn't oh, just even know the gospel was the the reading that the priest did on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure I was taught more than that when I was a little kid, but that's what gospel meant as a as a Catholic. But that was big, though. You know, I mean, that idea of gospel was really, really big because gospel is it's good news, right? It's just it's not here. Here's a life that you're supposed to lead. You lead this particular life. You do these things. You do this, you do that, you don't do this, you don't do that, you certainly don't do that. You do this, you do a little bit of this, you definitely do this every day. You give this much. All of these do's, right, this checklist, as opposed to what's already been done for you. And wow, now look at the freedom that you get to live in as a Christian. I mean, what a huge difference that is in the freedom that that uh, bestows. Just praise praise be to God. Ah, How beautiful. About that? That's great. Gives. Oh, wonderful. I asked him what the most, I saw a couple more questions I asked. What was the most helpful stuff in this whole um, transition? And here's how he answered. Really, it was, you know, meeting with uh, my pastor. This is a great answer, by the way. At the Emanuel Lutheran Church is absolutely fantastic, which is great because uh, anytime you can talk to your pastor about theological matters. It's like their sweet spot. I mean, it's in their wheelhouse. They love it. And he was always willing to, to speak with me. The resources like Issues Etc., Table Talk Podcasts, there's so many great podcasts. What, did you hear that? Um, Table Talk? Hmm. <laughs> I, 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 I think he kind of mumbled that one more than the rest. Yeah, he did want to really cetera, admit it. Should we go back and <laughs> slow yeah, down? There's, <laughs> there's so many great things. Issues Etc. for Howard Hawk. <laughs> we should go and amplify it, slow it down a little bit. Um, have been invaluable, and book recommendations are terrific. And and then I think just, Pastor Wolf Mueller, just reading the Bible, and just looking at what it says, and not interpreting per se, but what, is, what does it say? What does the Bible say baptism does? What does the Bible say the gospel is? Um, and almost not overthinking a lot of things and not relying on perhaps the interpretation of people with brand new, exciting ideas about the text. But what do the church fathers, what do people 500 years ago have to say about this particular text and kind of simplifying things in that regard? This is great because 
the, the, the Lutheran doctrine, if it's not the simplicity of Christ, if it's not sola scriptura, then it's not anything. Hmm. So he says, well, how do you... How do you get to be Lutheran? Well, you should read the Bible and just let it say what it says. Right. That's how to end up as a Lutheran. Well, I I, th- I think we this came up in our previous interviews, too. Um, I mean, there's something about this that as people are trained in other churches that they have to take the words of the Bible and then they have to uh, get to the meaning or the interpretation that they have. And there's a there's at least a step or two between those two things. And so... Um, and and I wonder if I mean why can't people just read the Bible? I mean this is your point that you make all the time. If if a Bible drops out of an airplane, that happened by the way one time. Did I ever tell you that story? Mm-mm. I flew home. A buddy of mine was a pilot in college, and we and he flew me home from Kansas to Eastern Colorado for the weekend, and uh, with some other people too. And on the flight back, the cargo door opened in the back, and the and someone in our party, their Bible fell out of the plane. And so I'm picturing like this farmer in the middle of like Western Kansas hoeing in the field. And all of a sudden this Bible drops down right in front of him. Like that'd be a sign. It turns out it fell off on the runway. So they got it from the airport later. But anyway, oh, um, oh. but your point is if, if, if someone just got the Bible on a deserted Island uh, and just read it and believed it, they would be Lutheran. So why does that happen all the time? And I think the reason is, is that, um, the, uh, the the flesh clings to the law, and the gospel is a foreign concept. So when we read the Bible, um, we are we're predispositioned to cling to those law passages and try to use them for our own righteousness, and we don't cling or gravitate to the gospel. You made the point before how when you went back to find the verses that were underlined before you became a Lutheran, what were the passages that were underlined? Mm-hmm. All law. All law. No gospel. It's amazing. Hello? Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, oh, yeah. I'm just, I mean, that's just an example to the, the, the point that I'm at. I mean, I think, what what is that thing? The, uh, um, that thing I always forget, that we're, we're, we're predispositioned to, to gravitate to the, the opinion legacy yeah that's the one so so if we if, I always forget that too if we start out thinking that there's laws that I got to do to get to heaven and then someone says hey this is God's word and we just pick it up and read it we're likely going to go look for the things to do rather than the promises of God I think that's what's going on mm-hmm. with with this whole thing mm-hmm nope you're 100 percent it's 100 percent right here I let one last question uh, and it is what would you say to someone who's in the same spot? They're, they're, uh, uh, they're, they're working on, they want to be theological. They want to be orthodox. They want to, they want to follow the Bible, but they find themselves, maybe they're studying theology. They don't know which way. They, they're still in the evangelical church. They're trying to sort out up and down. Um, here's, here's what Jeff said. Yeah, I think a lot of it, at least for me and, and from others I've talked to, a lot of it does come with a little bit of age, I think. I think as we get a little bit older and we begin to think a little bit deeply on, on, on certain things, um, you know, maybe even when our passenger, just kind of an evangelical church, when they're wearing cooler clothes than we have type of thing. Um, yeah, I would say... You know, look at certain podcasts, you know, look at Issues, etc., which is an absolutely terrific resource uh, by the LCMS Church. Read Luther's Small Catechism. I mean, that is the number one, uh, you mentioned book recommendation, the number one recommendation. 
It's 22 pages long and lays out the faith in such a beautiful way. And see what you disagree with. And you may discover that you don't disagree with hardly anything in that, which is a beautiful uh, exposition of what the Bible says. Hmm. There you go. So go to the small catechism. It's fantastic. I, I mean, I like I like the place. way they set that up. I mean, we see that as as people come to like an adult instruction class and we go through the small catechism. I'm likely not going to have. A lot of disagreements, no matter where people are coming from, if, they, if they're coming from within the Lutheran, or, sorry, within the Christian church somewhere else, I'm not going to have a lot of issues going through the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer. It's not only when we get to baptism, confession, that we'll start having some of those discussions. But the way he put it, just read through it and see what you disagree with. And he's probably right. There's probably not too much that a, a person is going to disagree with from the small catechism. Nope. No, that's right. I, and I mean, what what can you disagree with from the small catechism? You, it, not if you're not if you've got the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Um, so yep, good. Well, there you go. So that's Jeff's story. So so I've given it the whole thing. I want to know what you think uh, now about it all. Oh, uh, as a whole, um, well, I think it's it's a fascinating passage, a, a, a journey, if you will. Um, I, I think that. Uh, Hmm. What was what was probably most interesting to me in this whole story was the the switch from non-denominational charismatic church to Baptist church that there that was an easy transition. In other words, there was nothing that was real significantly different because theologically we would step back and say those two church bodies are are there, there's huge differences between those two church bodies. Um, but in practice, there wasn't a whole lot. Um, so we're talking here about like what goes on Sunday morning. As I walk into the church building and I witness what goes on for a worship service, there wasn't much of a difference between his non-denominational charismatic church and the Baptist church. But then when he went into the Lutheran church, just walking in, seeing what happened Sunday morning, there were stark differences. Um, reverence. There was, uh, boy, that that looks like we're going to be receiving Christ's body and blood later. Uh, the, the choir is in a different position than what I'm used to. So that just from from minutes into the door, there's remarkable changes in contrast to what happened in the past. And that speaks to the mm-hmm. theology. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And what about getting there? What about the story to get there? How, uh, you got thoughts on that? Uh, as far as the the ways he bumped into this or... Yeah, yeah. Um, so let's see. If I remember, it started with like books and podcasts. Is that where he first bumped into this? Yeah, yeah. Po- po- probably started. So it's, but it started this way. So there's a seri- there's a seriousness. I think this is important. A seriousness that he treated the Bible. But what happened is yeah. he started to get older and he started to ask questions about what does the Bible teach. Oh, so yeah, yeah. You're, you're mo- you're, there's a transition from asking what does the Bible telling me to do to what is the bible teaching me that's true mm-hmm. and when you start asking that question now you're like hey wait a minute because the, the bible is doing it's revealing the truth especially of my own sinfulness and now the pastor's sitting there telling me these are the things i have to do so so you you become a curiosity with theology and then that led to 
it led to um, podcasts, looking around for certain things, finding books, and and then eventually, once you're on that theological track, you end up at the Lutheran Church. Well, and, but, but it's, I think, but it's, I think the thing that has to happen in that process, though, is that you start to you mean, you're, you're you start thinking differently theologically about things, as you mentioned, going from things to do to things to believe, uh, truths mm-hmm. to to hold to. But then the the necessary step that has to take place is that you have to press that new way of thinking into your current situation. For his case, it was the pastor who had the A-frame ladder on the stage, and he's already thinking, all right, what are the promises? What are the things that God has done for me that I take comfort in? And then the preacher's up there saying, hey, here are the Beatitudes. You're climbing your way to heaven. And there's this realization that people oftentimes have, this, what, what I'm used to, what I attend on a regular basis, does not compute with the new way I'm thinking theologically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's fantastic. And then, and then there's a, a matter of comfort in there as well. So, so Jeff, did he, remember how he was describing the differences between the gospel? That, now, that, I think, is where this thing is, the whole thing is key. Because, because what was the good news for him before? It was just, it was simply what, what... Um, what I'm supposed to do, how I'm supposed to live, what God's will is for me, and so forth. Remember? Mm-hmm. And then he says, now I've heard, but I heard something different, something very different. And that different thing is what Christ has, in fact, done for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, th- hmm. that, that's the thing that, uh, that I think we hear the most often as we do these interviews, is it's a shift what am I supposed to do for God versus what has God in Christ done for me? And that's the whole boil-down difference. Um, and it's not even that, that other churches reject the notion. It's not, like, it's not like churches are out there with their church sign saying, we reject the gospel. <laughs> but what, they, what, what we're focusing on week after week, what, what we come back to in our preaching time after time, is not what Christ has done for you. It's what you do for God, and that's what's going to leave people in either pride or despair. It's amazing, just absolutely amazing to me that that's what that's what goes for the gospel. That's what I mean, as if Jesus was not, uh, as if Jesus did not intend to um, bless his people with his comfort. It's only you know, it's the gospels. This is the worst thing about American Christianity: the gospels for the unbeliever, now for the Christian. It's all law, 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 law. Mm-hmm. Just terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a good one. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks to Jeff for giving us that interview, for telling the story. And uh, thanks for everyone who's listening. If if you have a similar story, let us know. Uh, uh, send an email to Evan. He checks the email. <laughs> if you want to if you want to tell your story, let us know. We'll try to arrange some more of these interviews. And if this is where you are, remember that the, that Jesus wants you to know that your sins are forgiven. He's not. He, Jesus has not put you on the track to try to prove yourself to Him. He has come to you and given uh, given everything, suffered everything, so that He can have you. That's what He wants you to know. Uh, that's what He wants you to have. That's a confidence in which He wants you to live and to die. And so we want to live and die in that confidence, and may God grant it. Amen.
see the sun.